Welcome to This Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Frederick Lane. Fred, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Joshua. It has been, as I uh, may have mentioned, a little bit of a physically and emotionally draining stretch, but not bad. Is that physically and draining because of our conversation or is, did it make it more so, less so? I would say it made it a little bit less so because it, it was a good thing to focus on. The, you know, the physically draining part was moving, which is you know, partly a function of just the process, age, et cetera. The emotionally draining part was um, sort of joining my siblings on a massive uh, cleanup of my parents' life up in Massachusetts this past weekend. I don't know which of those sounds more complicated or has more dust bunnies involved. <laughs> I can answer that one for you. <laughs> I, I think I'm in my 21st year in this apartment, possibly mostly because I don't ever want to move. I, I can't stand it. That's why I get rid of so much stuff. That's interesting. My wife and I have been a little bit... Um, peripatetic, a little bit uh, rambling, um, partly due to uh, some scholarships she's gotten in different places, China, uh, last year in York, then just traveled. So that sounds like a pleasant alternative. Well, which, what sounds like a pleasant alternative? The getting scholarships and opportunities coming up. Oh yeah, no, that's, it's really been, I think, a tremendous opportunity in terms of the ability to experience different cultures, see the world sample different cuisines and cultures, all of which we love doing. I'm going to segue on the sampling different cuisines, because if I remember right, <laughs> last we spoke, we talked about a change in your, some habits. And I wonder if you could remind people what you, two things. One, what motivated you to commit to something? What did you commit to? Well, the motivation was to think about the ratio of different proteins primarily in our diet. So that was, you know, and understanding the impact of those, where things are coming from, focusing a lot on sustainability, small producers, et cetera. So part of a sort of a holistic approach to this and ideally at the end of the day, reduction. Yeah, you talked about spending some time in England and there you could buy unpackaged stuff more easily. You could buy local stuff more easily. You were saying that the UK was going to adopt some US agriculture rules which would be a disaster. Well, that's the worry. It's interesting right now because the government in the UK, of course, is still hammering out how they're going to respond to the um, passage of Brexit, what their relationship with the EU will be. And there's a lot of concern that economically, they're going to have to replace the trade arrangements that they've had with the European Union with more favorable trade arrangements, particularly with uh, the United States and Australia. Both of those nations have lower food standards than the UK farming community. And so, you know, if, if Britain is to economically replace its relationship with the EU, there's real concern that they would have to make concessions on food quality to do that. Yeah, I felt like there was something personal to you on that, not just, I mean, I'm a science geek, you, you strike me as a law geek. <laughs> Well, law and tech, yeah, those two go together for me. And it, I saw it as not just a legal thing for you, nonetheless, that it was affecting, I mean, you lived there, you spent some time, I think you didn't like that it was difficult, more difficult to get foods that were where you knew where it came from. Well, no, I think the way I would phrase that, just to be clear, is that we liked having a much closer connection to the producers of whatever it is we were cooking. Because, you know, you go down to the local butcher shop and, you know, one of the things that they talked about was the idea that none of the meat that they had was shipped more than 15 miles from where they're located. And they knew all the small farmers who were doing that and they knew the processes that they were using to create their food, you know, the, the stuff that they were selling in the butcher shop. So that immediacy is such a contrast to the United States. Let's go to Walmart and ask them, where did this particular meat come from? <laughs> right. Look, and, and that's one of the things, actually, that we've been fortunate. We spent the winter on the eastern end of Long Island, which is a lot of local farms. So there was, and obviously local seafood, which was a big deal, you know, that you could have a real sense of the origin of the fish and shellfish that you're eating. In Brooklyn, there are a number of programs, for instance, we discovered through a friend the farm to people program that 
directly connects consumers with small farms for the purposes of getting vegetables, canned things, some locally produced meats, a variety of things. But again, this direct connection, this direct sense of the source. And then we happen to live right now uh, equidistant between two great farmers markets that take place on the weekend. So, you know, already we're beginning to see this, this ability to for instance, compost, which we couldn't do easily in any place we lived for the last couple of years. And even though the composting program in New York has been hammered by budget cuts and by staffing issues during the pandemic, you are starting to see that come back. Something that listeners can't see is I saw a big smile when you talked about compost. Compost is like this weirdly fun thing. There's something different about putting you know, apple seeds in scraps to be composted as opposed to throwing in the trash. It, 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 you're right. It is interesting that you flagged that facial expression because it is it is a very satisfying thing. I've been around people who have gardened much of my life. And the value of compost, obviously, as a fertilizer or even making, quote unquote, compost tea for houseplants. Yeah, it's really gratifying. And it, it, it's absolutely the you know, the circle of life stuff. Do you belong to CSA by any chance? Have you looked them up yet? We haven't looked them up yet. We have had a number of friends who did belong to them, but it's going to be something that we can start to think about now that we're settled for a little bit. I'll send you a link to where I found mine. It's uh, one of the, the highlights of living here. And wherever I would live, I would join a CSA. The one here, I can't describe how delicious the vegetables are. It's And fruit too. Right, and I think the best part of it for me you know, I, I love to cook, and this is this is one of the issues that that drives our conversation. Is that that the process of cooking is really enjoyable, and and of course it's also more economical than doing seamless or Uber Eats or what have you, which gets really steep after a while. But the great thing about the CSAs and you know even to some degree the farmers markets and the farm to people folks is that number one, there's a seasonality to it, right? Which is something that modern commerce and global commerce and and agribusiness has largely stamped out you know this idea that there are some seasons of the year where you shouldn't be eating oranges or you shouldn't be eating bananas because they don't grow i mean some of them don't even grow in new england at all so there's that issue <laughs> but you know related to that is this idea that there there's a renewed specialness right to having certain ingredients that are limited to certain times of the year. Mm. For instance, one of my favorite examples is rhubarb. You know, it is a spring vegetable slash fruit, fruit, I (laughs) guess. Stem. (laughs) Stem. But it's not something you cook in September because it doesn't grow then. And and that, to me, I think is is a value that we have lost sight of to some degree. I got a friend who, very high level, works with the UN. They're working on a treaty for plastics ocean plastics. Mm-hmm. I talked to him and I walked him through the, the process that we did. This wasn't on the podcast as a friend. And yeah. he says, all right, I'm going to get, I forget the exact details, but it was to get less packaged food. And then he says, what am I going to do about my daughter? She loves strawberries and strawberries come in plastic containers. And I'm thinking that's my, that might've been what I would have asked sometime before myself. But now I think strawberries, they're about to come in season. I haven't seen them in the farmer's market yet. They're spring. And when they come, I will be seeing them for the first time in 10 months. When I'm at some place, if there's a strawberry, I'll eat it. I'm not going to buy it. Like if I'm at a friend's place and they offer me a strawberry in December, I, maybe even I won't even eat it. But for one thing, my net strawberry joy in my life is no less and probably greater for the 10 months I go without for the ones that were grown near me. But also, I can't say this for sure, but I'm pretty sure that when he's there with the UN negotiating this stuff, he's thinking to himself, well, I want to make sure we cut out the plastic, but I want my daughter to get these strawberries. And this personal, we want the world to be cleaner and safer and healthier. And yet we want to see our mom when she's sick. And, and that means flying across the country. And so we're twisted up inside of, yes, we want others to clean up their act and us to be, to feel clean, but people see it as a sacrifice to, uh, live closer to the family so I don't have to fly all the time. It's interesting. We, um, we took our first steps into the electric car world uh, this past fall with um, a hybrid. And so for the winter, 
uh, we were staying at my in-laws place and they actually had installed solar and from our return from England in October until we moved to the city about 10 days ago, the car was running on sunshine, which is what I, I love to think about, you know, because we weren't driving more than the range of the batteries, which is, you know, 27, 28 miles, something like that. But you'd come home, you'd charge it up and it's all sunshine. And it, there's something really beautiful about that, that this car is running on sunlight. Now, that's a little bit more challenging because... Unfortunately, we live in a derated building, which hopefully they will make some improvements on. But one of the things they absolutely do not have is solar panels on the roof to charge electrical vehicles. So that changes that changes the dynamic a little bit. But but it's e- easy to imagine that that would be a practical future down the road. I'm now six months in. Today's the 18th. On the 21st, it makes six months that my refrigerator has been unplugged. Then this past weekend, on a whim, not on a whim, I shouldn't downplay this. Hmm. One, why does LeBron James practice free throws all the time? He's practiced them before because he gets better. You practice the basics, you get really good at stuff. Or you maintain skills, right? That's why I do things like over the weekend. Oh, and also I was reading this book by um, a podcast guest, J.B. McKinnon, on imagining if the world, if we stopped shopping nearly as much as we do. And there's a bunch of changes. Like he, he interviews a guy at, uh, at Levi Strauss and like, well, we'd make better jeans that wouldn't break down so quick and people would value stuff more. The economy would be hit really hard, but not as much as people expect. And there are things you could do about it. And he was talking about consuming electricity, consuming like air conditioning. There's a difference between comfort and health. And there's a wide difference between what people consider comfortable. In fact, the temperature at which people turn on air conditioning has been changing for decades. When Nixon said, oh, we got to conserve oil. He said, I think he was like, I forget what number it was, but it was something that no one would accept today. And that was just fine back then. Yeah, like 78, 76, 78 degrees or something like that. I forget the details. Yeah. But something yeah. like, well, that was my childhood. I <laughs> so I, I uh, reading that book and, th- and constantly practicing all these basics, I keep developing skills and enjoying more and more living without burning stuff. So I just went over my circuit break over there and just turned off the circuit for 26 hours. I, I want to do at least a day from noon to noon. Uh, I went a little bit longer. No power to the apartment at all. So if I was telling this to someone else, someone was like, well, how much does solar compare with this, compare with that? And I thought that's like an engineering question. It's a management question of what are the numbers? It's very yeah. important. We should know these things because if we don't know, we can't make informed decisions. But my perspective is always a leadership perspective. And what is the intent? What are our goals? If someone's goal is to live the way we always did, but do my best to use solar as much as I can, as opposed to live in stewardship. Like I'd rather have someone change their mindset and their heart, not even change their heart, but reveal what I believe is already there than to pay attention to just the numbers, but not change the values. Because the carbon dioxide, the mercury, the, the plastic, that's all a result of our choices based on our values, our stories, our images, our beliefs. If we keep the same ones, we've got several centuries of people trying to make things more efficient. No one's ever been saying, like, let's make it less efficient. We've been making it more efficient all the time. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that there are some, shall we say, uh, energy recidivists who would, in fact, want to make things less efficient. Because, you know, I think there are clear answers these days about the kinds of energy production that are better for the planet in general than others. Right. And I understand your fundamental point that we should be thinking about the consumptive piece at the end of the day. The reduction. Right. That reduction is one of the most powerful forces in terms of doing this. But I think it is unfortunately true that there are folks who are actively advocating for less efficient forms of energy for political slash economic slash cultural reasons. You know, and I, I think you know, particularly of the, the areas like Kentucky, West Virginia, Southern Ohio, things like that, we're coal. You said less efficient, but that's not efficiency. That's polluting. The source is not efficient. That, that's a fair distinction. Yeah. They're always going to make their machines as, as efficient as possible. They're always going to make their processes as efficient as possible. The extraction piece, that's correct. Yeah. So, yeah, it, if you simply switch from more polluting to less polluting, this is subtle until people get it, and then it's glaringly obvious. I mean, the, the case I usually think about is, is when James Watt made the steam engine. It was significantly more efficient than the steam engines before. 
people thought coleus would go down, but it went up. It went down for each use, but it became cheaper to use it for more to use steam engines for more things. So more people used more steam engines for more things. Each use was more efficient, but the total consumption increased. And that's our world today. It's, that pattern has followed for 200, 250 years now. Likewise, I think like ENIAC was tremendously, for people don't know, you know, the first computer at University of Pennsylvania, it like dimmed the city lights when they turned it on. An average cell phone today is like billions of times, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's like way more efficient. And the total use of power for the total emissions from computing today are way more than ever before. And you can say, well, it's enabled a lot of things. It's also people are just wasting. Like there's a lot of, I don't know if people are necessarily happier because of a lot of the computer stuff. (laughs) I I feel pretty strong that the answer to that is no, honestly, Joshua. And then I think the latest one is, I think if, if I compare the emissions from a helicopter and a drone, it's huge. Drones are way more efficient. And they're way cheaper. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's happened yet, but I'm confident. I'll bet any amount of money that within some period of time, the total emissions from helicopters, of which there must be, I don't know, thousands, maybe tens of thousands, is going to be dwarfed by the emissions from drones because there's going to be millions of them. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that's a really interesting perspective you know, in terms of how we view energy consumption. Because the rates of efficiency don't don't overwhelm or don't overtake the sheer volume of usage, which is the point you're making. Most people look at the particular use, one specific use, but in economics language, you have to look at the demand curve and what has now become economical that was not economical before. You couldn't make a drone before. Now that you can make a drone, you can do all sorts of things that helicopters were, no one's going to fly a helicopter to do a tiny little video of their family reunion. But if someone at the reunion has a drone, they're going to do that. And there's a lot more family reunions than there are, what are these helicopters for? Like traffic uh, reports. Well, and, and here in New York, of course, they to get to the eastern end of the island and things like that. Look, you're absolutely right. I, you know, I think about this from a technological perspective, which is that when a capacity emerges, then usages are created, which we couldn't have imagined. You know, and, and drones, you're, every real estate agent has a drone now. Because they they use the drones to take aerial photos and videos of the properties, and it becomes a selling tool for them. But, you know, as you say, nobody was going to hire your average Sikorsky helicopter to do that for, you know, $250,000 home. You might do it for Brad Pitt or whatever, but that's a different (laughs) ballgame. Now, we could keep going here. This is all digression because I wanted to hear, this is all flowing after... What motivated you to commit? What was the commitment that you did since last we spoke? Well, the, yeah, I mean, what we had discussed was the increase in more vegetarian meals. And how did that go? Mixed bag. Generally speaking, I would say probably about half of what I hope to do. So I think if I remember right, you're aiming for like 14, 15 meat-free meals a month. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, you know, I was thinking about this as I prepped for the uh, conversation today, because I would say that the majority of breakfasts are meat-free. So, you know, for instance, I alternate daily, like my wife makes a smoothie every day for her breakfast. And so I join her every other day. And then the other days when I'm cooking something else, I will typically do a couple of poached eggs on toast or an egg and cheese on some bread product as my alternative. So that category is pretty well set. And then I was trying to think about it. And I think lunch is about, I don't know, a third maybe would be. And then similar on dinner, maybe a little less. But then, you know, one of the interesting questions is, you know, whether you fold in, for instance, you know, I would kind of approach it from a Piscatarian point of view that the fish would be a reasonable alternative, particularly if it's locally sourced and you know, you have some sense of where it's coming from and how it's how it's caught. So I feel like you're describing the situation before the commitment. Did you do things differently? Did you ever find yourself in the store or in the butcher or somewhere and thinking? Oh, ab- absolutely. You know, for instance, you know, sometimes, you know, a good example would be, you know, ordering a pizza. So it becomes vegetarian instead of something else, you know, mushrooms, red onions, that kind of thing. That's a general statement. Can you walk me through times when that happened? What was it like? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, the last couple of times and that we've done that, that would be exactly what I did, you know, choosing to do a vegetarian alternative. Other alternatives would be, what else have we done? Soups, vegetable, cream of vegetable soup is in that mix. Yeah, meals that for, for dinners would be, like I said, not as many as it should have been. So last time you were talking about spreadsheets and keeping track of things and I got um, I'm kind of curious that the, no, the I, thousand days of running you've come and gone. So now you must be at like not 1100 yet, but you're talking about tracking things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing that you kind of did it and kind of didn't do it. Yeah. I think that's fair. And which by the way, this is one of the main goals of this podcast is I do not want to tell listeners that this is like, see, look, all I have to do is this and it's done. It's hard. <laughs> right. It's, and that's one of the reasons I like leaders on the show is that they have had experiences of exposing their vulnerabilities and finding that this doesn't hurt their reputation if they are genuine and authentic about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people say, you know, here's one little thing you can do for the environment. And then usually if it's like not that big of a deal, but if it's something joyful, that I think is, if it comes from intrinsic motivation, then I think people are more likely to do it. But also if they recognize that if they... It's very tempting to try to say, I do more than I do. And especially because there seems to be a judgmental attitude in the world about like, oh, it's so good. People, oh, yeah. I can't stand. Yeah. I'm walking down the street, picking up garbage and people go, like, oh, you're such a good person. I'm like, it's not good or bad. It's not a moral issue. There's dirt on the ground and not dirt. The dirt actually is fine on the ground. There's plastic on the ground. There's waste on the ground. I'm cleaning up my neighborhood. I'm not virtue signaling. I'm making my neighborhood cleaner. And I'm practicing, I'm rehearsing my leadership skills. Because if, if I don't do it, I'm not, if I can't credibly talk about what I'm talking about, then I, I don't have credibility. Yeah, I think, I think that it, is, it, is, it has been a good lesson as I have thought about this, that it is difficult to change deep-seated habits in terms of menus and food choices. You know, that there are certain preferences that build up over time that yeah, it takes a lot of thinking about to shift. I'm going to go back to last. Con- I happen to have just listened to our last conversation. Yeah, preparing for this. And when I asked you what the environment meant to you, you talked about Amy. You talked about I forget exactly. It was like an awe and wonder. And then when I said it, I invite you to think of something you could do to act on it, and you said, "Oh, meat. We've been doing this meat stuff." And you talked about England. And then I asked you, "Does that connect back to what that intrinsic motivation you talked about before?" But it it didn't. It may have connected with a different intrinsic motivation, but I think you were motivated. I'm not sure how much it was coming from inside. You know this and I don't, and I'm guessing. And this is something that's happened with a lot of guests that I say, is there something you could do to act on those feelings? And they come up with something that's not related to that. And I think that they feel like they're doing it out of compulsion or someone nagging at them or something not coming from inside. Like you're talking about changing your diet and you're saying it's hard. You're not talking about acting on your grandmother and what you talked about with how she raised you, which I think wouldn't be, I suspect would be a different task. It's possible that there's something intrinsic that it's connecting with the change in the diet, but it didn't sound like it was coming from what you mentioned when I asked you what the environment meant to you. And then when I said this time, what did you, what motivated you? You talked about stuff that wasn't intrinsic. You were talking about changing meat consumption and I forget exactly how you put it, but it wasn't about your emotions, your heart. The goal, one of my goals in this podcast is to engage people on their intrinsic, their sledding hill for people to see my TED talk, TEDx talk. <laughs> right. Interesting question. I don't know then what that is, what that would be. When you think about it, when you act on the environment, is there anything that motivates you coming from inside? Like when you think about nature, what do you think about? exposure to, I think, enjoyment of, you know, hiking. So tell me about hiking. Is there hiking in particular? Are there, are there instances of hiking that, that stick in your mind? Do you remember your earliest hiking memories? What, what makes you like hiking? Well, I think it's actually what the particular reference is the hikes that Amy and I have. You know, we did some fantastic hikes in England, which different parts of the country. So just really enjoyable stuff. Tell me about it. What's so enjoyable about it? I mean, your joy may be different than others. So what, what's yours? Well, yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's the opportunity to see, you know, relatively untrammeled land, although not necessarily, because sometimes you're walking through 
areas or or rails to trails and stuff like that that goes through stuff. But it's also the the physical aspect of it, the opportunity to just relax, you know, chatting, obviously. It's just, um, yeah, it's just really beautiful stuff. You get to see different environments and and to one degree or another feel a part of them. Tell me what you see. Oh, God. Well, it depends. I mean, you know, coastal hikes, oceans, you know, cliffs, crashing waves, all the rest of that. Seabirds of one kind or another. We did a couple of hikes in the Lake District. So it's, you know, hills, uh, low mountains, huge, deep lakes. I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous territory. I'm picturing this is northern England? Northeastern for the coastal stuff, uh, a little bit to the west for the Lake District. And then hikes in Scotland, which is hills, mountains, ocean. Are they rolling hills with lots of green? Are they craggy with rocks? All of the above, yeah. The Lake District is a little craggier. The coastal stuff is a little bit more rolling. Depends on where you are. And what are the emotions that you felt when you were doing this, if you don't mind my asking? No, no, not at all. Peace, calm, contentment, really. And do you connect more with her there in those situations? Is, it, is there a connection? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Let me try something here that I haven't done with anyone before, but I've been meaning to. Mm. Based on those feelings that you're talking about now, think about those, the experiences you had walking in the craggy moors or whatever. You know, and I don't because I haven't been there. Yeah. Is there something you could do to bring that back? Is there something you could do to act on that here now? Or, you know, not this second, but in your life in the present? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. As I look out my apartment window onto a city landscape, that's an interesting question because that's, yeah, there's a remoteness, I think, to nature, which makes that connection a little bit more difficult. That's where I think you start to get into involvement in kind of larger groups that promote those particular resources, try to do the production work. For instance, we belonged um, when we were over in England. Oh, wait, I'm going to interrupt you, and I apologize for that. But I want to... I want to focus, I should have mentioned this when I asked you, that not that where you're going isn't very, very interesting. Is there something you could do that you do with your own hands that isn't asking, that isn't getting involved with a group to do something as a group uh, or motivating others? Well, that's what, that's what I was trying to explore. And I think that, you know, <laughs> you know in a way, you know, in, this, in a small way, the, the composting is referential to that, right? That that ties into that connection in a small way. Probably, you know, at least over the winter, the most significant thing I was doing, and it you know, we say something like this, it sounds absolutely silly, but feeding birds, you know, having these, having this wildlife come to this bird feeder, we had turkeys, we had actually deer um, come and visit and probably 15 or 20 different species of birds. This is in Brooklyn? No, this was in Eastern Long Island. Okay. I was like, deer in Brooklyn? No, 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 not, not yet. My, my sister gives, gives me a hard time and says, if anyone can attract them, I can, but, uh, We'll see if that happens. So you're doing something like that out in Long Island with the yeah. feeding the birds. Is there something you could do here? And I'm not saying it has to be like recreate that exactly, but the yeah. feelings that you got, is that recreatable in some way here? Don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer to that. I think probably I need to do some research on that because the obvious answer would be whether or not there are organizations that are doing um, nature-related stuff. Right, I'm going to push here. Forget about other organizations. Is there something you can do yourself? Or let me, is it absolutely impossible for you to experience nature where you are? I mean, have you just lost? Oh, no, no, no. Because I go running in Prospect Park, for instance. And that, <laughs> despite the, the, uh, the physical aspect of it, a little bit more strenuous. But, you know, I think obviously it's a huge urban area, right? A little bit like Central Park. You get some of that flavor. So I'm, I'm hopefully not pushing, but hopefully drawing out if there's to see if you can find something that you could do yourself without having that, you know, without research of recreating something like that. Well, I mean, I think that at a, you know, and there's a couple of different ways, certainly in terms of the connection with nature. One of the things that we have started to do is um, visit the botanic garden and, you know, spend time enjoying, you know, this tiny segment of nature there. It's nice. So that's in terms of the connection piece that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Are the things, so the three constraints are something that you're not already doing, mm-hmm. something that you do with your own hands and something that has some measurable effect that you like. You don't have to measure it, but there's a physical component to it. 
that is not just reading, not just watching videos, not just, you know, learning or educating. By all means, read and watch videos, but take the next step to incorporating it. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, it's not something I've thought about. That's what I'm here for. Right. <laughs> is it, people are just sacrificing uh, their connection to nature and they're just letting it slide and they're watching it happen. And then they bemoan that it's gone. What I find is that acting at all is more than not acting. It's qualitatively different. The measurement of it is not the important thing. Just, in fact, one of the best ways to get someone not to do something is to judge them on their first performance. Right. So this is not about, you know, is it big enough? Is it too small? No, not at all. Is it coming from intrinsic? Because I think before it might, it might've been something not quite as intrinsic as the way you talk about the walk and the way you talked about beef supply chains. I've saw, and maybe I'm reading into something, something that wasn't there. It seems like one of them is like this practical thing that's important in today's, in today's age. And the other was like a, a deeply resonant part of you. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly there's an intellectual, intellectual awareness that the first is a good thing or would be a good thing, right? You know, in terms of assessing some of the environmental impacts that are out there. So intellectually, it makes sense. Yeah. I'm glad that people are managing and, and engineering and all that stuff. And that's not about our values. Yeah. That's not about leadership as by what I call leadership. It's, it's not changing culture. If, you know, something I often say is if I snap my fingers and could magically change all pollution and carbon greenhouse emission levels back to pre-industrial, but we didn't change our images, our beliefs, our stories, our culture, we return right back to where we are. Now, if we change those things, so if we changed our culture, our systems, but we didn't change, we didn't manage that process, we would also just, things would happen slowly at most. So I think we have to do both. We have to, I, and this is what I'm doing with my life is I'm, I'm changing my images, my stories, the people I, I spend time with. And it's, everyone thinks it's going to be a deprivation and sacrifice. And it's the opposite. It's much more connection and joy, meaning, purpose, freedom, fun, family, and the opposite of what everyone predicts. But you can only find that, I can only find that out by doing it. And I'm not going to stop. And I, I support everybody working on the management and the engineering and the efficiency and the compare this with that. and make it solar. Oh, great. I'm talking about connecting with our heart and hearts and minds and intent, experiences, images. Ultimately, that leads to our ability to lead others authentically and genuinely, credibly from experience. If all we do is say, you should do this because it's better. Someone else says, well, I don't want to do that. But if I say, it may seem like I'm pushing you to come up with something. I believe that I'm uncovering something. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because I think that that to the extent that this deals that this deals with leadership, I think one legitimate question is where does one's leadership skills lie? I think that that's relevant in the sense that one of the areas that I have been trying to develop and expand the sense of leadership is in terms of how the kinds of ways in which people use digital devices in terms of the safety issues, cybersecurity, so on and so forth. I mean, we talked a little bit about this in the past. So I think what I'm questioning a little bit is I legitimately see the value of individual change for myself in, in the various values that we've discussed. But the question is whether or not that's the thing that I will be a leader in, in terms of trying to influence other people. Does that make sense? I think it's an interesting abstract question. And if you're buying me scotch, I'd accept it and talk about that. <laughs> and I want yeah. to get at those feelings that you have. Is there something you could think of to act on it? Because I know what will happen is you'll go back and forth, you'll hem and haw, and then you'll come up with something and then we'll talk about it later. And you'll be like, oh my God, I didn't realize how easy that was. And then you'll start finding more and more things because the log jam will have broken that you're not going to be thinking of what you're going to do to fix the world's problems. You're going to think of what to do to improve your life, to, to bring to your life the things that you love. We didn't used to not have trees in our lives. I mean, you have trees in the park, but like it used to be everywhere, you know, a couple of generations back. You couldn't possibly go for very long without walking in the forest because everyone did. Yeah. And now people can go days without having anything, nothing that was alive more, no plant that was, or, or animal that was alive more than a month before entering yeah. the mouths. Look, I, you know, I'll put this. It, actually, I think here's the thing. 
I think part of what we're what I'm trying to figure out is a legitimate response to your question, right? Is based in part on on in some ways really understanding what you're asking because at some level or at an, at an important level, if the issue here is bringing this connection or maintaining this connection in my life to the thing, you know, the the natural part of the world that I enjoy, it's to your your feel your heart, right? Right. So for me. For instance, you know, not long before I came on the podcast, doing a run around a chunk of Prospect Park was exactly that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm not as fast as I wanted to be and not likely to be so again, but you're surrounded by a good chunk of nature in the middle of Brooklyn, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, again, when we go to the Botanic Garden, it's an opportunity to see amazing species of plants. So those connections are there. And that's something we will do regularly, you know, having joined the Botanic Garden, supporting the mission, et cetera. So that I think, yeah, that's an important part of living in this space is exactly that, taking advantage of those resources. Yeah. When I ask this to people, they always, almost always, they come back with, here's what I already do. And that's part of the process is that they have to say, this is what I'm already doing. Because I believe that I've had this done with me you know, when I train people to do their versions of this podcast and I come back and I'm like, Oh, that's what like this, I'm doing whatever it does with me. So I say to people, well, this is what I already do. It's kind of hard to think of anything more because I tell myself I'm already doing what I can. That's my way. That's, I think the human way of saying, look, I'm doing everything I can. I'm one of the good guys now. Well, no, I'm certainly not saying that (laughs) clearly, but I think that if, if the question is what do I need to do to maintain that connection? What could you do? But, but what here's, here's maybe the question I'm driving at, Treasure, in the sense of if I feel like there's adequate connection for me emotionally and personally, given the ways in which I take advantage of the nearby natural resources, what is what is the more there? Because I don't feel like I need more connection to nature per se. Yeah, I'm not talking about necessity. Okay. I'm not saying you need more connection to nature. You better do something. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Okay. Your description of Prospect Park and your description of Northern England didn't sound the same to me. Well, of course not, because, you know, the Moors are not surrounded by you know, 9 million people or 8 million people. And just to be fair, and I wouldn't say that you're saying this, but you're not going to turn Prospect Park into the Northern Moors of England or, you know, the Lake District of England. It's, you know, it is what it is. Now, here's a legitimate question. Can it be cleaner? Can it be greener? Maybe. I mean, the greener part's probably outside of my purview. The cleaner, not necessarily in terms of cleanup days and stuff like that. If Prospect Park were cleaner, would that give you, would it bring it closer to the Moors? I don't know if Moors is where <laughs> to put it. I, I'll have, my, my, my main reference point here is, is uh, uh, American World from London. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, don't leave yeah, the well, path. It's, it's hard because, you know, not hard. It, it is unfortunate when you go through an area of the park and you see people have left evidence of late night gatherings of one sort or another and things like that. I mean, there's, there's all of that scattered throughout for sure. Is there anything you could do to, to increase the, to connect with those feelings of Scotland and Northern England? Well, like I said, I think that it is, it is there to some extent, but I'm, I'm conscious of it being a relative thing, right? I mean, when you think about going to a more remote location, the very remoteness of it is what's special about it. And that's not something you're going to recreate. But at the same time, within the context of being in this large urban area, there's a wonderful connection to be felt in something like Prospect Park or in Central Park. Some years ago, I used to spend a lot of time running around the Jackie Onassis Reservoir and even though that path is filled with people all the time, you still felt some general connection to, you know, nature, to being outdoors, right? To exercising as part of your time in the urban environment. And that experience is gauged by where you are. So it's not the same thing as going hiking in the Lake District because they're just two different experiences, but that connection, that overall emotional connection is still, I think, of a piece. It's an interesting thing, but but yeah, I mean, it's, I don't feel like you have to 
strive to recreate those emotions exactly because they're intrinsically different locations. Yeah, I'm like, what am I not getting across? Yeah, <laughs> and, and clearly what am I, yeah. If you hadn't been running around the reservoir in Central Park, the Jack Onassis Reservoir, yeah. and then you did, you'd say that improved your life, I think. Yeah, and, and so I, I guess, Joshua, what I, what I would get to is, is the sense of balance, right? So I have these runs that I do, which we've talked about as, as being part of this Sitcha, you know, that, that's really relevant to well-being. And I do consciously try to take advantage of the natural resources when I do that, because that connection is important. But then there needs to be balance, right, with the other aspects of my life that need to be done. You know, working, for instance, the um, writing and so forth, just household stuff. So in a sense, the more there doesn't may not balance out properly. Okay. So what I try to do is to find something inside someone that is already, that was there before I ever met them, before I start talking to them. It's intrinsic to them, that is meaningful to them. And to find a way to connect that to a task, something that they can do that they come up with. I, don't, I try not to come up with it for them because then it's less likely to, they come up with, when they come up with it, it's way more connecting with themselves than I could ever come up with. If that person's life is in perfect balance and there's no more that they have the right amount for them, then there's no motivation for me to tap into that isn't balanced off by something else. Right. I, and I see that. I've had people on the show, you know, I pick up garbage every day. So far, my total money spent on the activity is zero. My total time spent on it is on the order of seconds per day. And it brings me joy. It brings me connection. It brings me rage at, <laughs> at, at others. Imagine. And I mean, it certainly helps with my, with my, um, empathizing with others. It's a big challenge to find out like, what does it take to drop something on the ground? And also recognize this was something I've been saying lately. When, when I walk by and people like say, Oh, you're such a good person. And I say, you know, something I've realized lately, people would like to say, I'm not saying this to you. This is what I, I mean. I'm saying it to you, but I'm like quoting myself from the weekend and, and before people would like to think that the litter, someone else caused the litter. And maybe another person's hand dropped this particular McDonald's cup or wrapper or this Starbucks cup, that's not, it's a mistake to think that's when the litter happened. The litter happened at a couple of cases. One is when, the cons- when any consumer pays money for something disposable that they didn't need, that money drives the system. That system produces garbage. The garbage may end up on, it may end up on Sixth Avenue here. It may end up in a trash can. Even if it does end up in a trash can, it may end up in a landfill. It's going to make its way to the ocean. It's once when the consumer pays money, that drives the system. Another big place where it happens is the shareholders or the, the people in the boardroom who decide, let's tap that oil, let's drill, and let's bring, once the oil is out of the ground, it's in the environment. I mean, it was in the environment, like locked under the underground, but whether it makes it to the air, whether it makes it to our lungs, whether it makes it to plastic and into our veins or into our food, once the decision was made to bring the oil out, that's when it happened. And if this person or that person themselves doesn't litter, it doesn't change that they're driving the system that makes this happen. I think this is a meaningful way of looking at things. I think it's, it's useful to understand things that way. I wouldn't have come up with it if I weren't picking up the garbage. Now, I, leadership is a big thing for me. So this is tapping into to me. What I was saying before, why does LeBron James shoot practice free throws before the game? Because he loves basketball. He loves to win. I don't know what, I, I don't know the guy. He loves, I presume it's like something about the beauty of the game or some joy that it brings him. And he gets more joy when he's more skilled. And so he practices and gets skilled. So when I'm picking up garbage, I'm many things. I mean, I, I would say more connected with Nelson Mandela than LeBron James, but people who are dedicated and, and, and stick to the craft. And that's to me, a path to greatness, a path to me, to an authentic, effective global leader in the style of Mandela, Dr. King, Gandhi, that that's what's, I'm not picking up. Yeah. I'm cleaning my neighborhood. I, I misspoke before. Yeah. I'm cleaning my neighborhood. I'm training to become a Mandela of the environment because there is none right now. And what you talked about before about the meat stuff, that was nowhere near what I'm talking about. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think what is near that is, is my feelings about cyber safety, to be honest with you. That, that, I was going to say, like yeah. that, you, you got a podcast, you're putting time and effort into it, you write books on it, yeah. you, you are an, an expert in the field, and that didn't come from like casually like reading a few articles. No, it really comes from that same sense of there's not a 
large universe of people doing this. And I think I can do it well. And it is meaningful to me to do it. And I suspect you're serving a, others. Well, it, it, I feel like it has a discernible impact. You know, it's, it's very much the idea if there is one teacher who does not do something inappropriate, that's a victory. If there's one student who does not have their life diverted in a difficult way because of the choices they make, that's a service. And, and it's that same sense of, you know, you practice the podcast, you practice the lectures, you hone your craft to make it more effective. And, and you know, in terms of leadership, I think you're absolutely right. There is not that kind of leadership in terms of the environmental work that you're doing. I think there are people who are doing really effective stuff in slightly different ways. But the, the example you're setting, I think, is unique. I'm trying to do exactly that in terms of the cyber safety and cyber ethics work uh, that I'm focused on. So, it, yeah, it's a legitimate question. I think you do need to find the thing that drives you to do the repetitive work. If you like the show, I recommend acting, as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. The repetitive work, I do that daily, and I expect to do it daily for the rest of my life, at least until the garbage starts not accumulating. <laughs> right. That's, I like, because I don't have discipline, so I have to do things to develop discipline, or else I won't do anything. Otherwise, I'm, I'm very tempted to be lazy. <laughs> so it, it's the opposite of what most people think. I don't have any more discipline than anyone else, except through what I've developed through practice. But I'm not saying... I'm not suggesting that you act on my values. Right. And if, you, if those things resonate with you in another area of life, great. I suspect, I hear from you that there are these things in, in, this, in your connection with nature. And well, I'll stop at this point. But I know that if you tapped into those or if these things were tapped into you and you found your way, like I'm not, I wasn't in the hills with you, the lake region. I've never met Amy. I don't know what actually happened. I only hear your stories. But from what I hear, I might have come up with things like sometimes when I sit down to watch TV, I'm going to tell Amy, let's go for a walk and we're just going to walk in a new neighborhood. Or I would say, when I find a place, when I'm doing my run, sometimes I'll stop and pick up garbage, even though I don't have to, because it'll, yeah, it won't turn uh, Prospect Park into Northern England, but it will connect with that with me. In my heart, I know that I'll be doing that. Or I might think to myself, when ordering the food, I might think, instead of ordering out, let's find a place where we can get closer to, you know, we'll find a butcher, whatever. The, well, let's make an adventure. And one Saturday afternoon, we're going to go through and find the best butcher we can or the most convenient one or something like that. Or because that, that's more connecting with the food stuff. Or I might say, instead of doing something that, would make the world more sterile and urban. I might plant a tree. I might put a plant in the window. And if you're already doing these things, you could find, you can still plant another. <laughs> I mean, I'm not yeah. suggesting you do these things. I'm just yeah. going on. I'm trying to empathize with you based on what you said and think of things to do. And I think you're thinking of like, how can I transform Prospect Park into the North, Northern England? And I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. And yeah, interesting. I'm exploring. I'm sure to the listeners, I sound like I'm pushing really hard. I'm trying to find out what I'm what I'm missing because I get an occasional guest and friend outside of uh, the podcast where you, a lot of the questions I would say to you about you personally, you would answer in the second person. You go to the park, you do this, you do that. I'm like, what about you? Like, I go to the park, I do this, and, and it was very general. And I think there's this is something I haven't developed the technique on. It's to pick up when people distance themselves. I, I'm not sure where the difference came from. It reminds me of back when, um, I'm not going to go into that whole story, but I sensed a disconnect 
a distancing that you were distancing yourself from your experience of nature and saying, I've already reached the perfect balance between my exploration, my enjoyment of nature on the one hand and the rest of life, which unfortunately has to be very different than that. And I, you know, in my experience, that's not that that balance is a false dichotomy, but I can't, I can say that to someone, but it's meaningless because in their personal experience, if your personal experience is those things are separate and I have to balance one with the other, I can't both enjoy nature and work on my career at the same time. Then my saying that's a false dichotomy is like, well, Josh, you don't know what you're talking about because it is, but if you experience it, then it's different. Yeah. I think for me, the, yeah, the enjoyment of nature informs the rest of what I do in the sense of just it's part of life. So when I'm working, you know, I have had the experience of enjoying the, you know, the natural resources that are nearby. So I don't feel them as a dichotomy. What was the balance you were talking about? Literally in terms of time spent, right? That's the balance. That's the, you know, the trade-offs. I I think there's a difference between the physical being and the emotional, the emotional flow of life, two different things or not two different things, but one is more scripted and the other is, is more, you know, the range of feelings associated with what you do. I didn't follow. <laughs> well, it's complicated. And then actually speaking of which we'll, we'll need to kind of um, wrap this up, but I think, yeah, I got to think at two thirty-two. I think that what I'm, I'm driving at is that, you know, there, there are activities, right? A lot of, a lot of my physical activity takes place in the natural resources that are available here in Brooklyn. And I imagine that going forward. That just works really well. It's, it's a good thing. <laughs> then you physically need to obviously spend time on other activities. But when I do so, I still feel that connection with having taken advantage of the natural resource. The fact that I did it with that chunk of time makes the rest of my time feel it, it informs it, it enhances it in a lot of different ways. And I would say in the reverse, actually, Joshua, that if I've had a really good podcast or if I'm you know, prepared and delivered a webinar to folks on cyber safety, that makes my running feel better. That makes my enjoyment of nature feel better. So these things feed into each other in different ways. And so that is the, that, that is what I was trying to get at with respect to the idea of balance, right? That these different aspects of my life inform each other and, and hopefully produce a cohesive and, you know, enjoyable and valuable whole. So that's one notion of balance. But I, I think what you were saying before was that you'd like to do more nature things, but because of time constraints, you have to balance that you, and when someone says time, that really my, that means values. There's something else that's, that's more valuable for that time. And so I thought you were saying, I'd like to do more, but I'm doing all that I can. No, I just, I, that really wasn't what I, was, what I was really saying was that the amount that I spend on the physical slash natural piece is, is sufficient for the other things that I need to do. In my life. Okay. So here's my read of the situation is that I'm not sure your full motivation for, I was trying to tap into some intrinsic motivation last time and this time. Yeah. And the meat thing, I think, I don't think it tapped in as deeply as it was something that you wanted to do for extrinsic reasons, right. some intrinsic. And so it was a burden. It, it was something you had to do. And you did it somewhat to the extent that it was uh, practicable, that it didn't take too much time and so forth. That it wasn't too much of a, of a pain. And I do some things like that. But it wasn't like something you got to do. But I think also, if I take it your word, you are maxing out on the things you on the things that tap into. Those are incorporated in your life to the appropriate amount for you. And to deviate from that would not improve your life. It would not because it would I think yeah I mean I, I not necessarily not improve but make it more challenging to do the things I need. To. That's the dichotomy I'm talking about. Yeah. So everything you're doing so far on the nature side of things has to date contributed and augmented the other parts of your life. And that's reached the maximum. If we took the, I don't know if this is too geeky here, but if we took the derivative, it'd be equal to zero. That's where you've reached <laughs> the pinnacle and more would not 
improve the rest of your life and might even take from the rest of your life. Yes. If that's the case, then I can't lead you because I can't help someone do something that they've already optimized. Well, I actually, you see, this is where I think I have some pushback on the concept of leadership because I think the example that you set is informative to me in this other significant aspect. Can you clarify? In terms of the cyber safety, the cyber ethics, the you know awareness of the risk of digital devices, the leadership that you show in terms of the education you give people and the guidance you give people is inspiring in terms of the work that I'm trying to do with other in those areas. So to me, that's leadership. That that is a a style of interacting with the world that is meaningful. So it, it simply seems to me that one of the issues here is where is that going to be applied? Okay. So I can't lead you in the area of sustainability. I may be a role model. Well, maybe not as much as, as we might like. It certainly is thought provoking, but but I think in terms of the it's like a bargain, right? That the role modeling is X here, but it's X plus Y. What? <laughs> Can you explain again? <laughs> sure. So, you know, let's take the, the Joshua Spodek uh-huh. bar graph, right? You know, in terms of the uh, impact on various aspects. So if sustainability is X, leadership in terms of cyber safety, in terms of the teaching mm-hmm. model is X plus Y. It's higher. It just it, it resonates more there. Okay. So if I understand you right, I'm attempting to lead you in sustainability. But whether intentional or not, my modeling, my behavior in, in sustainability is giving you something that you can, oh, I can do that in my cybersecurity work. Absolutely. And right. And it's not just, and to be perfectly clear, the sustainability piece is not zero. It is greater than zero. So it is, it is an ongoing process, an ongoing thought process. And then this other piece is just that much higher. And I think that that's relevant in terms of how we look at how we interact with the world. Well, take that. Unintentional leadership through role model, through as a role model. Well, but I don't think it is because if, if you take your examples of Mandela or Gandhi or people like that, yes, they were doing their leadership in political system, but the, the model of their leadership was applicable in myriad ways. And, and certainly with respect to someone like you know, Mandela, for instance, who, you know, you, you derive this concept of sitchapam, this idea of some kind of daily constructive habit, right? Well, I didn't derive it from him. I derived it independently, but now I, he's a huge role model for me in that area. Okay. And duly noted. But, but the point being that, that, you know, he had elements of his existence, elements of his behavior that are inspiring in a whole host of different ways in a different context. If I am like a Mandela for you in an area, <laughs> then that's that's very flattering to hear. Well, and I think it's legit. I can't argue with you about this. <laughs> What's my word against yours? <laughs> well, I'm intending you should. <laughs> there you go. All right. It sounds like there's not something to come up with in the area of the environment or sustainability that you're your right spot. Yeah, for the moment. Not gonna, I'm not going to say it's not going to change, but for the moment, for this moment, I would say that's accurate. Okay. And then for me, have I learned a lesson of uh, when to recognize, to look for when people feel that they're where they, are, should, where they should be? Because we're not that close, but we met through friends and, or through a friend, uh, a very good friend of both of us. So I took liberties of like pushing the boundary on, like I wouldn't have, if we didn't have that connection, I wouldn't have, and maybe people are listening like, oh, this is uncomfortable, Josh, lay off. But maybe not. I'm not sure. Was it, how, how was the experience for you? The- yeah, I, informative. I mean, educational. It is good to think about these issues. And practice. Yeah. Uh, anything to wrap up with before? Oh, wait, wait. Tell me about the 1,000 days running. You, you were about to hit 1,000 days. So now switching topics entirely. Well, yeah, real quickly. Today was uh, 1,083. And uh, one of the nice things about being in the park is my runs are getting longer. My goal is to get up to back up to five miles at some point. And um, it's great. It's, it's a new environment. There's, I mean, you know, 
you can run in any direction and there's so much to see. It's, it's really inspired. So hopefully I'll keep it up. A um, little bit of ankle trouble, which is always problematic, but we'll see. What's the, and stop, we're, we're almost running. I mean, we're, we're well over what we scheduled. There's the running in the moment, but there's also like the, the thousand days, the, the keeping track, the spreadsheet the, that you knew it was 1,080, whatever. It's the Streak Runners Association that I joined, well, June 1st to be my third anniversary. And so I wanted to be a part of it. You know, I wanted to, I like the daily thing and, and the, there's a discipline component to it. And I just like knowing what day it is. Yeah. Okay. So we'll say, and you know, there are people who've done it for 40,000 days. It's just staggering how long some people have. So anyway, that's, uh, that's a good note to close on, Joshua. Well, Frederick Lane, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Talk soon. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.